this. And Tristan asked me uh, earlier, she said, are you going to be able to do this tonight? And I said, well, I'm going to give it the old college try. So if I stop early, you'll know my voice is done. Uh, but we'll, we'll get going here. Uh, 2 Corinthians is written after 1 Corinthians. I didn't know if you knew that or not. That's the, the timeline, the way it works. This was written by Paul with the help of his young protege, uh, Pastor Timothy. Everyone say Pastor Timothy. I like that because that's my name. And so, uh, but uh, it was written about 55 or 56 A.D., written to the Corinthians. And uh, the main ideal or the, the, I guess if you could put this in 10 words or less, Paul is defending his ministry to the Corinthian church. That's what he's doing. So the first letter was very pointed, and he, he calls them out on some things. And here in the second letter, I talked about this last week as we we're ending that he gets a little bit more um, uh, personal about about some things. And so uh, we see the first seven chapters of this book, he is defending uh, his, his himself in some form. But um, how many know what a schism is? Anybody know what a schism is? Oh, new word. A schism is a, is a church split. All right. Somebody go, ah. So a, a schism uh, or everyone say discord. Can you say discord? All right. It had made its way into the Corinthian church, and there was people who were on one side of the fence, and there were people on another side of the fence. And so uh, they had kind of, there were people on this side who were questioning Paul's apostolic authority, saying, who is Paul? He is, he's not been one that was commissioned in Jerusalem like Peter or uh, John, but this Paul, you know, who is he? And so I'll say this, in Proverbs six nineteen, and I love this, I think it's 16 through 19, maybe 16 through 20, it tells us, uh, uh, the writer of Proverbs says this, that six, no, seven things that the Lord despises or hates. This is a, this is a very interesting verse to me, I, I love this. And here they are. If you want to write these down, you could you could write this down. Number one, haughtiness. All right, uh, lying. All right, murdering. Plotting evil. Eagerness to do wrong. False witnesses. Sowing discord among the brethren. All right. Let's point that out. I want to say sowing discord. Among the brethren. All right. So let me just tell you, if you are a person who loves to cause discord amongst the people of God, Proverbs tells us that God ain't on board with that. All right. Uh, but those who sow discord in the kingdom of God and in the family and in the church, the Lord despises. And he doesn't hate them, but he hates their action that they are doing because how many know that the kingdom of God needs to be built up, that it builds us up? And, and who are we as people to tear down the kingdom of God? And so we have to look at it like that. So that, so that is what Paul is dealing with here. He's got discord in the Corinthian church. We've got people who say that, hey, we don't trust him. And then we've got a group of people who say, yeah, we do trust him. And so he is, he's trying to mend some fences here. How many know it's sometimes you got a friend that loves you and a friend that's mad at this friend, and you got to play the person in the middle is tough, right? But Paul is trying to, to help them in this process. So the key uh, to this verse in Proverbs is that sowing, all right? Everyone say sowing is done. Come on, say that. Intentionally. 
Think about that for a minute. Sowing discord, that means you're doing it intentionally. I am causing trouble. How many of you have kids, sometimes they just cause trouble. Don't raise your hand. Right? And, and so they're causing issues. What happens when we sow uh, in discord, it causes confusions. It causes internal fighting. It causes uh, seeds of doubt and confusion. And that is exactly what's happening here. Sounds, uh, I don't know, when you think about it, it sounds like how the enemy works. He wants nothing but to confuse and to destroy and tear down, right? But look at this. Paul wrote Second Corinthians, and he wrote this in Macedonia a year or so after writing 1 Corinthians. And he wrote it during his third missionary journey, and he had just finished three-year ministry in Ephesus, all right? And after visiting churches in Macedonia as he made his way to Corinth. So after hearing from Timothy, Paul's young protege, that some of the Corinthian Christians had questioned his authority to write this first correction, Paul wrote this second letter to them. And this second epistle is Paul's most personal and anyone that he would write, all right? So stick with me. It's also his most defensive writing, too, because he, he's also defending, you know, his himself. So, so, so through it, this is, if you, if you look at this, through it, you will see his heart, all right? I don't know any pastor or any apostolic authority uh, that teaches, uh, you know, I want more of you to hear my heart. Come on, when I'm speaking and know my heart, you know, there's times of correction. How many know there are times of correction? How many of you as parents know there are times of correction, right? There's times where you need to sit down, you need to correct somebody. But as a parent, you never want to correct your kid with the wrong heart, right? I've done that before. And let me tell you, it, it breaks my heart when I do that. The Holy Spirit convicts me. And so uh, we see him. He is, he's building, building up here. So let's look at this greeting. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all of Achaia. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, Paul said, uh, it is by the grace of God. Everyone say the grace of God. He said, it is by the grace of God I am what I am. Can I tell you, it is by the grace of God that you are what you are today, all right? Paul understood that, and he said that in his first letter to the Corinthians, and here he is repeating himself. Here's the second letter, and, and there are those who are still questioning his apostolic authority. So you say, some of you may say, well, what is apostolic authority? What is an apostle? An apostle is simply this, if you need a biblical definition, was one that was sent out. Everyone say sent out to establish and start churches and ministries. And which is what Paul was doing at this time. He did it in Ephesus. He did it in Philippi. He did it in the Galatia region. He did it here in Corinthians, uh, Thessalonica. Come on, can I just keep naming a few? Rome. I mean, so he just kept going and establishing churches. And an apostle, all right, this is what we need to know, can correct and establish. And this is what Paul is doing. So Paul says, no, not only is it by the grace of God that I'm able to do this, but it is his will that I am an apostle. Paul says this, it's not my choice, it was his choice. How many remember when Paul was going down the Damascus Road, right? He was going to persecute Christians and, and uh, uh, 
Jesus showed up or the angel of the Lord showed up right there in that moment and he went blind, right? And he was knocked off his high horse of where he thought he was. And God uh, humbled him in that moment and God called him out in that moment, right? So look at this. Verse 2 says this, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone say grace. Everyone say peace. When you know, come on, you've heard me say this, when you, when you know the grace of God in your life, you will have the peace of God in your life. Grace and peace go hand in hand. And there is, uh, th if you look at all of Paul's epistles, I think he links these two things together, time and time. Again, how many want peace of God in your life? Then you need to know the grace of God in your life. What is grace? Unmerited favor. I don't deserve this. God gave it to me. When I understand my condition that I need his grace, guess what? The peace of God can come over me. I don't have to strive and work it out on my own. Come on. Aren't you glad about that? So, so Paul's greeting is, is, is kind and it's nice. He didn't come in swinging at the Corinthians and said, you, you knuckleheads, I told you in the first book this is what you're supposed to. No, he comes in actually very kind. Uh, uh, and actually, many in the congregation attacked Paul pretty mercilessly. I mean, they, they came in with strong words. Who are you? Who are you to correct us? And I've learned anytime you do ministry, you're going to be attacked. I don't care what kind of ministry uh, you do. When you are doing something, come on, for, for the kingdom of God, you are going to be attacked from time to time. Amen? No one is immune to it. The attack Paul uh, uh, that he gets, and, and, and while they are attacking him, he greets them with two things, the grace of God and the peace of God. Whew. You know, it takes a very mature person to come in when somebody is spitting venom at you to come in and go, hey, God's grace be on you and God's peace be on you. You know what that takes? The Holy Spirit working within us to be able to do that. So I love this because Paul, he does something that I need as a pastor and he does something that you need as, as a, a believer in Christ. He sets a tone for ministers and for lay members of the church. And he shows us a, a, an example of what a peacemaker is. You know what's hard? You know what I want to do when someone comes at me with their words? I want to defend myself, right? What would you say about me? Oh, yeah, you're going to say that about me? But Paul, knowing the things that have been said about him, he comes in with the right attitude and the right heart, all right? How many of you could say, hey, I could have avoided a lot of fights in my life with my spouse or with my friends or with my family if I would have come in with the right attitude, a Christ-like attitude in my life, right? So here's the lesson. Are you ready for this? I'm going to help you out. You should write this down. Be a peacemaker in the midst of difficulty. When someone's coming at you, be a peacemaker. Who does God bless? Blessed are the what? Are the what? All right. The two of you got it. Blessed are the peacemakers. All right. And I love this. David, he modeled this so well. Um, how many remember in 1 Samuel chapter 18 and 19, David is doing his thing and, and playing music and Saul being so full of jealousy and, and uh, just spirit of darkness, he threw his spear at David trying to kill him, right? And David 
didn't grab the spear and try to throw it back at him and kill him, but he modeled what? Grace and the peace of God. I love that. And so, too, I found those who walk close to the Lord and uh, uh, in their lives, when the enemy or when people, sometimes they throw accusations, they, they say things at you. You know what the best thing you can do? Step back, let the Lord fight your battle, and, and try to be a peacemaker in the middle of that, all right? I've also found out that I can gauge my own spiritual state by the priority I give to defending my position. You want to know how mature you are? Uh, how many feel like that you always got to defend your position, that you always you got to get the last word. Come on, be honest with me. Right? I got to get the last word, you know. Uh, and, and, and what happens is when I'm defending my position and I'm defending my motives or I'm defending my, motive, uh, my, my reputation, you know what happens is I'm picking up the same spear that was thrown at me and I am throwing it back, okay, uh, I've served on boards, and I've served on leadership positions where I've been talked about, come on, for doing something or saying something that maybe someone didn't agree with, right? And I've learned that people will talk, but this is what I've learned, that the Holy Spirit does a better job of dealing with people than I ever could. All right? I know you're not going to shout me down on this because I know this is hitting hitting right where, where it needs to hit, right? And, and so the truly anointed and mature believer doesn't fire back. How many believe that God can fight your battles? How many believe that God can sustain your reputation, right? And, and that is why we see Paul. He's just explaining certain things to the congregation of the Corinthians, but he is not brutally firing back at them. He could. He's firm with them, but he never loses his heart to love them. You know, I, me and Tristan, uh, last night, uh, we were watching a, a, a video, I, and I was reminded of a video a few years back. And, and there's this video on YouTube, and there's this pastor, and he is having a terrible day uh, from his church, and he just starts going off on people in the congregation. Anybody ever seen that video? And he is like going up to people and calling them out. And he's like, you're, he even says at one point, he goes up to one guy and he goes, you're the sorriest church member I have. And I'm just like, what in the world? And he goes, but you know I love you. And I'm like, what in the world? And he, you know, he's to the point, he's like, if you vote me out, whatever, I'll get in my car and I'll go down. And I just thought, man, this guy needs to hit the prayer closet, right? But how many know that, that when our heart is right, that we don't have to, come on, we don't have to defend our reputation. How many know the Holy Spirit will go before us? He'll give us wisdom. Look at this. So, so this is what the next portion is, and uh, the God of all comfort. You ready for this? Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort for which, for which we ourselves are comforted by God. Verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. That means when I'm going through a trial for the Lord, guess what? I'm also sharing, I may be sharing in suffering, but I'm sharing in his comfort as well. Verse, uh, verse 6 says, if we are afflicted, 
It is from your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is from your comfort for which you experience when you patiently endured the same sufferings that we suffer. Verse 7, our hope, everyone say hope, for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also be uh, uh, share in our comfort. So, so I believe Paul found genuine comfort in God. And can I say this? You can too. Are you restless in your heart? Are you struggling in your spirit? You can find genuine comfort in God. So as you go through difficult times, anybody been through some difficult times? Anybody been through some real storms in your life? Come on. Immense challenges in your life? You'll find even as Paul found that God is the God of comfort. You'll discover that he is the father of mercy. How many could say, hey, I've been through some stuff, and God is the father of mercy. I, I know it. I've experienced it firsthand. And, and when we know that God is the father of mercy, he'll comfort you in order that, that you can comfort others. Have you ever thought, why did I have to go through that? You know, why did I go through this situation in my life? And then later on down, your, down the road, you come across somebody, and they, they're going through a similar situation, and you can look back and go, hey, I went through that very same thing that you went through. And let me tell you what got me through that situation, what the Lord brought me through. So this is a key passage because it teaches us that to the degree in which we comfort others, you ready for this, is the degree that, that we have been comforted ourselves. And Paul could speak of God's faithfulness. He had suffered, right? Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was beaten. Paul was thrown in jail. Paul was talked about. Paul had a lot of things that were just terrible, but guess what? He still loved the Lord, and he knew that God could comfort him, and God would be with him. So how do we, how do we know God's faithfulness? How do you know God's faithfulness in your life? Let me ask you that. How do you know that? When you've been tested. That's it. When you've been tested and you've come through, guess what? You can look back and go, I can't sing right now, but all my life you have been faithful, right? You know why you can? Do you know why you could sing that? Because he brought you through, right? And so when we're tested, uh, you know, we go through some stuff, but we can look back. And how many can look back over your life and say, I don't know how, but God brought me to where I am and here I am by the grace of God. So uh, uh, people ask me often, Pastor, how, how do you and why, why do you have so much faith in God? Can I tell you, man, I've been through some challenging situations in my life. And, and the reason that I can't give up on God is because he didn't give up on me at my worst circumstance. And I stand here full of faith today because he, is, he never left me. He never left me alone. He walked beside me. He brought me. He held my hand. He was patient with me. He was loving with me. And I stand here today saying, God is faithful. Amen. People in faith and comfort are people who have been and, and seen God take them through many things time and time and time again. Let me say it like this. It's only when we have experienced God's faithfulness firsthand that we can assure others that God will be faithful to them. All right, look at this, verse 8. 
For we do not want to you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we were despaired of life itself. So there's this guy, and Paul alludes to him, uh, I forget what other book at the end of it, he, he talks of, his name is Demetrius. Anybody ever heard of Demetrius in the Bible? And he is a, a silversmith or a blacksmith. And he becomes angry with Paul in Ephesus. And here's why. Because in Ephesus, there, uh, they, they worshipped the idol, the god Diana, all right? And these silversmiths in the area, they made little idols out of hands, okay, with their hands of the god Diana. And they would sell these idols. You know, it's pretty bad when you got to buy your god, right? They would sell these idols to people so that they could worship them. And then here comes Paul to Ephesus, and this is what he says. You cannot worship a God that you can make with your own hands. So Demetrius, here he is. He is loving life. He is making money. And and so many people in Ephesus start getting saved because Paul is speaking truth. And what happens to Demetrius' building or his business is is it starts affecting his revenue. And he, he gets loss of sales because he realizes that all these people start realizing, man, we've been worshiping idols, not the one true God. And this is what he does. He begins to go to all the silversmiths, and they start a riot there at Ephesus, and everyone's mad, and people are showing up. How many remember Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 24? He said this, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and what? And what? Love the other, right? Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's what Jesus said. I didn't say it. It's what Jesus said. He said, and so you have Demetrius, who's like on the fence, but he's more concerned about making money off of selling idols than he is about knowing the true God. Demetrius chose money and riches, thus he caused an uproar. And you can look that up in Acts chapter 19. But, but Paul's commitment to Christ didn't exempt him from the troubles of suffering for Christ, right? Here's what I'll tell you. When you start moving in God's calling, in God's divine direction, listen to me. You listen to me. We're all in different areas in our lives. But when you start moving towards what God has called you to, when you start uh, man, when you start witnessing to people at your workplace, when you start praying for people in Walmart, when you start getting outside yourself and, and, and doing the work of the Lord, can I tell you something? Expect resistance from the enemy. All right? I'm going to tell you, and I'll just say this. Say, Pastor, why do you think you're sick? Because I expect resistance from the enemy since uh, uh, December 29th. I came in, and we, I think that's Sunday, the last Sunday of the year. I spoke on the, the armor of God, knowing who the enemy was. The devil does not like to be exposed. The next week, the next week, I spoke on putting on the full armor of God. And I challenged everyone in our church to stop bowing down to what the enemy's doing and to start moving forward in the direction that God has for us. 
say, Pastor, do you think that's why you're sick? I tell you what, I have never carried a sickness like I have this time. I've been praying. I've been just rebuking this thing. I've been doing everything I can. And I believe that we are on the cusp of something amazing. Coming into this week, listen, I've got a bold word for you on Sunday that is going to challenge and I believe is going to propel our church forward, come on, into 2024 to, to take us to new heights, to take us to new places, to expand the kingdom of God, to expand our uh, what, what God has allowed us to do, to get our hands in doing ministry in places that we've never done before, to take the blinders off, come on, to take our expectations off, and I believe that the best is yet to come. And I know that the enemy will come in and fight. He'll, he'll bring sickness on you. He'll try to discourage you. And this is what I'll do. If I have to sit up here and with a squeaky voice on Sunday, I will proclaim what God has for this house. Amen. Man, I'm feeling pretty good now. In Jesus' name, I will. God never said once. That once you're saved and you're moving in ministry, that it's going to be easy peasy. We got to expect resistance from the enemy and from the world. So Paul knew that. And I tell you what, I stand on that. Verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Paul talking about when he was at Ephesus. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves. When you are not in control of your life, come on. It's a new measure of faith. Uh, and and I, this isn't even in my notes, but I'll share this. And many of you have heard this story. You know, one time I was on a flight, and we had to make an emergency landing. Never experienced that in my life. Anybody ever experienced that? Scared this pastor to death. I honestly thought, you know, I, I thought about my kids. I thought about, well, I've lived a pretty good life. I'm, I'm sad for my kids. You know, I, I was thinking worst case scenario. Come on, understand your pastor. You know, he's not always on his A game. But I was thinking, man, the worst case scenario. And I was just thinking, and it was so hard for me because I, here I am on the plane and my life is in the pilot's hands. There's nothing that I can do back there in my seat. And I am just depending that the pilot is trained well and that he's going to get us to the ground. And I'll never forget when we landed Man, man, everybody cheered. We were excited, and, you know, and it was all crazy. It was, it was a smaller issue than we ever thought it was, but, you know, God sustained us. God kept us. If you've ever been in a situation where you are not in control, you have to depend on God. All right? So Paul, here he is. He's speaking of his dark days at Ephesus, and they served a purpose for him. Paul's saying, hey, when I almost died at Ephesus, that taught me I, I got to solely depend on God and not on man, not on money, but God and him alone. See, like Paul, the tendency in most of us in our lives is to try and solve our own problems, right? I'm in debt. Well, I could figure this out, Lord. My marriage is falling apart. Well, I'm going to do everything I can do, right? Try to figure it all out in ourselves. The Bible teaches us time and time again in Proverbs chapter 3, especially verse 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with some of your heart, right? Trust in the Lord with 
with what? Come on, say it. All in the Hebrew and in the Greek means all. Always does. And do not, and do not lean what? On your own understanding. Oh, man, come on. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will what? Make your straight your paths. And so it was interesting at our, this last week I was at, at conference, and our general bishop of our denomination, Bishop Ming, he spoke on this very scripture, and he demonstrated it so beautifully. And, uh, you know, I, it was just amazing how he did this. But he, and he challenged everybody in the room. He put one guy on this side of the room, and he said, this is my way of thinking. Help me, Gary. Stand right here if you can, buddy. Come on. He, 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 and he put, come on, Mark Lynn, come over here on this side. You're, you're going to be, this is my own understanding. I'll just show you that what he did. This challenged me uh, tremendously. And, and he said, this is what the Lord wants me to do, but this is what happens when I don't know what to do and I lean into my own understanding. I love this. He did a beautiful job. And he goes over and he said, when I lean into my own understanding, what I'm doing is I am leaning in what I know, right? I know I'm heavier than what I think. But what happens is when I lean into my own understanding, guess what? I am not doing what I'm supposed to do. It was a beautiful illustration. And he said, when I'm, when I'm coming over here, man, God holds me up with his strong right hand, and he directs my paths, and he makes things straight. Maybe you're in confusion because you're leaning into what you know and not what God wants out of you. Challenging, isn't it? Thank you guys for doing that. Sorry I waste so much. So therefore, the Lord, he brought Paul, what I love about this, he brought Paul to the end of himself where Paul said, hey, I have to depend on the Lord, not my own ability, but the Lord. God's will, uh, God will allow us, listen to me, come on, some of you saints who've been through some stuff, some, some of you Christians who've, who've been, through, been through some things, help me out here, amen me. God will allow you to be squeezed and pressured beyond your own ability and your own measure to hold up. You know why? He doesn't want you leaning on your own understanding. He wants you on this side going, God, I can't do this on my own. And God's like, that's exactly where I need you to be. Amen? Oh, a good example of this is Jacob. And Jacob born the second twin. And, and, and his name means deceiver. Jacob means heel snatcher is what, what Scripture tells us. His brother Esau was born first. And the Bible even says that he was reaching for Esau's heel because he wanted to be born first so he could have the birthright. And, and as he was always cunning and he was always striving to be on top, his own understanding, right? Even cheated his brother out of his birthright and his blessing. Then later in his life, here comes Esau, his older brother, and he's coming with 400 men and he's going to take out Jacob. He wants to kill him. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Jacob, guess what? Jacob couldn't be heel snatcher anymore. He had run out of resources. He had done everything that he could. But God brought him to a place where he had to work this thing out. And he wrestled, right? He wrestled all night 
long with this angel. And I, I love the tenacity of Jacob because he didn't give up. He didn't quit. And in the middle of this, you know, the angel's like, I've got to leave. And Jacob says, you're, you're not leaving until you bless me. And I love what happens here. The angel of the Lord changes his name from Jacob to Israel. So Jacob being a hill snatcher, Israel means this, governed by God. Everyone say governed by God. So he goes from striver, conniver, come on, to being governed by God, God's sovereignty over his life. But what's interesting is when the angel leaves, come on, he busts his hip. He put, puts a move on, on Jacob's or, or uh, Israel's hip, however you want to call him. Um, but at the cost of a dislocated hip, as though God is saying, every step you take from this point on, Jacob, Israel, you're going to be reminded of this moment that you need me. I don't know about you, in my own cleverness, in my own attitude, in my own strength, I'm nothing. I've, I've learned that. And, and, and I love to depend on God. It, it's a wonderful day when we finally come to the end of ourselves and realize this. I need you, Lord. God, I can't do ministry by myself. God, I can't work out this solution by myself. God, I, I, I don't have the answer to this, but God, here I am in total surrender to you, God. And when we get to that point, God says, all right, let's do this. All I need is, is you, Lord. Lord, I, I, I'm going to, like Jacob, maybe wrestle with you, Lord. I'm just going to cling to you because I don't know what else to do. The next part of that verse says, but on God who raises the dead. Maybe you're here, your marriage is DOA, dead on arrival. Maybe you're the love of, of God and the joy of God in your life is dead. Maybe you're not excited about being a Christian. Maybe you say, hey, my ministry is dead. Can I tell you this? Quit trying to figure it out in your own energy and lean on the Lord. Seek the Lord. Trust God. And let me tell you something. God specializes in raising dead things. He does. Things that seem like they're not going to work, God can call them out. Amen. Verse 10 says this, he delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So I'm encouraged by this, and I love this little portrait of scripture. God delivered us in the past. And he'll deliver us in the present. And if he'll do it in the present, that means he'll deliver us in the future, right? So stop and consider this. Think about something you faced maybe a year ago, two years ago. I don't know. Think about it. How, how you thought at that time, man, this is over. This is impossible. I'll never make it. This will never work out. And everyone say this with me. But God. Look where you are today. Some of you would be strung out on drugs. Some of you would be out of your mind. And here's the problem. Most of us rarely look back over our memories and our lives and look and remember 
we thought that situations were going to kill us and finish us. But why, why do we not remember them? Because God delivered us from them. We, we, we do that. It's our human nature, right? Uh, the children of Israel, right? It's amazing. My, my cousin Tina, she said this on Sunday. You know, it was amazing. God brought the children of Israel across the Red Sea on what kind of land? Dry land. All of them. None of them died. That's amazing, right? And then you see the people of Israel, as soon as they get on the other side, Pharaoh's army swallowed up, start complaining. Moses, why did you bring us over here? Did you bring us over here to die? Right? How quick is our memory? We lose our memory about how God brought us out. How many could say, hey, God brought me out of something in the past? Come on, how many can say that? How many could say, hey, God's bringing me out of something in the present? And we can say this with confidence. I believe that God will bring me out of things in the future. Amen? I believe that one of our biggest obstacles in our Christian walk is remembering how the Lord brought us out and saw us through. So Paul says, because God delivered us, guess what? He'll deliver you. You know, God's not a respecter of person. If God will save Paul's life, guess what? He'll save your life. Look at this, verse 11. You must also help us by prayer. I like this. The people that are mad at Paul, Paul's saying, pray for me. You people who are slinging my name around, slandering me, pray for me. I need your prayers. You guys are part of the process of God's deliverance for us. The same thing still happens. I, I said a few weeks ago that our prayer prayers are like artillery shells that we pray on behalf of others. And we don't know the battle that they're in, but as we pray for them, come on, our intercessory goes. And we may the prayers that we may be speaking over somebody or praying over somebody could be the thing that is keeping them alive and keeping the enemy at bay. I've experienced this in my life. There's been times where I've been having a tough day or a tough situation, maybe a sickness. To only have my mom call me and say, hey, today at this time, the Lord stopped me and told me to pray for you. And I begin to pray for you, and, I, and, and tears come down my, my cheeks. And I'm like, Mom, I was struggling in that moment. And so this is just this is just reiterating to us that that we are to pray for people. You say, "Hey, I I'm I'm a retired person. Let me tell you, if you're retired, you got a lot of time to pray for people." Amen. If you drive for your job, you got a lot of time to pray for people. If you're at your desk at work and you're working, you could take a moment to pray for people. When God puts someone on your heart, I want to challenge you, pray for that person. Don't put it off. Do it right then. Do it in that moment. Can I tell you something? I'm a product of a praying mom and dad. I'm standing here because my mom and dad prayed tenacious prayers for me. Some things I wouldn't have made it through, and I wouldn't be here had it not been intercessory going on for my behalf. So I encourage you to pray for those that God lays on your heart. Maybe turn the TV off for a few minutes instead of 
watching the same show you've watched a hundred times, call out somebody's name in prayer. Amen? So it says this, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of, of many. So Paul trusted the Lord as the Corinthians prayed, and God delivered him. I, I love this. So here he is saying we should, we, we should pray for one, one another so that thanks can be given. If many people pray or intercede, many will thank God is what he's saying because this is what happens. When we start interceding for one another, that's what God starts answering prayer. What do we do when we face trouble? Here's the thing. This is everyone in the building. We all do this. When we face trouble, we hold it in. We're too proud to let people know we're struggling. We're, we're too proud to say, I am, I am struggling in this area of my life. We're too proud to come down here to the altar and pray and ask for someone to pray for us. Right? We keep it to ourselves. But James tells us that if we confess our faults one to another, guess what? It opens the door of intercession. When I'm struggling with something, guess what I can do? I could, I could pick up the phone and call Jody and say, Jody, today I am struggling with this. And guess what? I know that Jody is going to pray for me and he's going to intercede on my behalf. Why do we struggle with that? Why, why are we so afraid to tell people when we're struggling? We need each other, right? And there are going to be moments where Jody may be struggling and he'll call me and I can intercede for him. And guess what? The body of Christ is building up each other in prayer. I love to come in here and, and, and give testimony of answered prayers to, to the church, to the congregation. Why? Because God, our deliverer, deserves praise and adoration for everything. Amen. Look at this. Verse 12. <clears throat> for our boast is this, the testimony of our uh, conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but the grace of God. Everyone say the grace of God. And supremely so toward you, he said, for we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand. So the word sincerity comes from the Latin phrase without wax. And that means this, referring to wax that they would use to seal and to hide the cracks in defective pottery. People would swindle people and say, this is a beautiful pot, and they would put wax in the cracks to hide. And people would buy it, they would, they would buy a, a broken or a defective piece of pottery. And Paul is saying, hey, we, we lived a life of godly sincerity before you. We weren't trying to deceive you. We weren't trying to put wax in there. No, we, we, we were just as pure as we could be. Verse 14, just, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us, and he will boast of you. And I like this because Paul had a way, a wonderful ability, really, to, to know uh, no man after the flesh. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 says this, from now on, Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. This is what Paul said. What does that mean? So often, listen to me, so often, all we want to do is point out someone else's fleshliness. That's, 
that's our that's what we want to do to people. You know, we may say something like this. You know, you talk too much. You're a gossip. You're angry. Right? You, you know, you you fly off the handle. We we want to point out everyone else's fleshliness. So it's easy to say, well, well, you know, some of you may say this, well, pastor, you're 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 moody or you know, you see a board member and you say, that board member doesn't listen to me. They're fleshly, right? Or this person on the staff of the church, they don't care about my opinion. Can I tell you something? I, I counsel a lot of people. And I have to remember that, that they may say and do things in the flesh. And in the middle of their fleshliness, sometimes it may come off irritating to me. But I have to know as a, as a pastor who they are positionally in Christ. See, there's the difference. Rather than focusing on their fleshliness, I got to know, hey, that's Christ's son. That's Christ's daughter. Yeah, they're acting a fool right now, but that's still Christ's son and daughter. And I love this about Paul because he's looking at the Corinthians going, man, you guys are acting a fool, but I know who you are positionally in Christ. He saw he saw that they could could and would be used by the Holy Spirit. So, sure, Paul was a shepherd who, who warned of false teachers and wolves in sheep's clothing. But when it came to believers' hearts, he had a huge heart for the believers. He wanted the best for them. He had he cared about them. He loved them positionally in Christ, not because they were perfect. Come on, how many know that no one in here is perfect? Your flesh proves that. Some of you are looking at me, looking at me right now. Hurry up, Pastor. Your flesh is it proves that. But positionally, I believe this. Christ has something for you. Come on. Verse 15 says this, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and and to come back uh, to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Verse 17, was I facilitating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no? the same time, and Paul's, Paul's saying this, my intent, my heart was to return to you in Corinth and minister again, but but he was delayed, to which his enemies pointed out, that's proof that, 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 that you can't be trusted, Paul, that's what they're saying there. Verse 18 says this, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. What does that mean? Paul's saying this, I was not speaking out of both sides of my mouth wasn't telling you what you wanted to hear and doing what I want. Come on. How many know somebody that speaks out of both sides of their mouth? Don't raise your hand. Before descending, before, I like this, before defending his personal integrity, here, you know who Paul defends? You know what he defends? His preaching. Before he says, hey, I'm not worried about my character, he defends what God has spoke, the truth of God's word. He says this. God's word, what's come out of my mouth is yes, it's true, it's trustworthy. And I admire that Paul defends preaching more than his personal integrity. And better, he says, better for you to know the word of God than for me to be right personally. All right, it's what he's saying. It shows, it shows this, that I'm missional 
and I have an apostolic calling. It's what Paul's saying, and I am to preach the word of God, and that's the most important thing. Paul's saying, I've spoke the same word. I've spoke of the same God. I've spoke of the same Christ. I've spoke of the same grace. I've spoke of the same peace. I've spoke of the same love. Verse 19, to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. Everyone say yes. I like this verse. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. Verse 21. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. Verse 22. And who has also put his seal on us. And given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So he's saying this, all right? And I'll try to do this as quick as I can to finish up here. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, we read over and over again, do this and you'll be blessed. Sacrifice a lamb and you'll be forgiven. Act like this and you'll be blessed, right? But when Christ comes, it's not a a matter of if you do this, it's a matter of yes and amen. Yes meaning yeah, and amen meaning, Lord, so be it in my life. So Paul is not preaching yes and no at the same time. He's not contradicting himself. Instead, he's preaching a reflection of truthfulness of God's faithfulness because his teaching was based on Scripture and the teaching of Christ, all right? Verse 20, it, it, it says, all of God's promises concerning Christ are true and trustworthy. Everyone say, yes. Let me say that again. All of God's promises concerning Christ are true and trustworthy. Everyone say, all right. The Greek word anointed is connected to establish. I like that. God establishes. Paul was anointed. God established him, God confirmed him, and he is speaking and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So Paul is saying, I didn't establish myself. The Lord met me on the Damascus road. He established me. He anointed me. He put this apostolic anointing upon me. He sealed me with his Holy Spirit. Sealing it indicates the ownership and security. And I can't help but think, man, in my life, Holy Spirit, seal my life. Lord, my life is not my own. I give it to you. It belongs to you. Amen. The Holy Spirit is a guarantee. The the down payment is there that we will receive eternal life. Verse 23, we're almost done. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for keeping my voice. But uh, But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. I like this. He said, you guys are lucky that I didn't come because I was, uh, you know, if I'd have been Paul, I'd have been frustrated with them. I'm going to come. I'm going to slap a few of you guys around because you're just acting a fool, right? But, you know, here's the thing. It's not always popular, but sometimes God closes doors and God changes plans, right? We want to do something. God says, nope. God, why did you do that? Not right. Timing's not right. 
Paul's saying, hey, I'm glad I didn't come earlier because guess what? I probably would have been too harsh. And I probably would have been mean in my correction. But because I've had some time to step back, the Holy Spirit to reveal some things, my frustrations are, are not there. And, and I can speak to you in love. How many as a parent have ever quickly responded to somebody and was frustrated? Maybe with your kids and you, you said something really fast with, really out, with not really thinking about it. Or you've been so mad at maybe your spouse that you had to walk outside and go for a walk and you come back because you had to change your mindset. That's what Paul's saying here. I had to step away and God closed that door. Thank goodness he closed that door because had I come back a little bit earlier, I probably wouldn't have had come with the grace and the mercy that I'm coming now. So look at this. Verse 24 says this. Not that we, Lord, uh, it, not that we, Lord, it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Everyone say joy. For you stand firm in your faith. Unlike too many churches today, we, we often set pastors uh, up or, you know, uh, people to have dominion over the flock. Some people say, you know, let the pastor make all the choices and plans and decisions. I don't think that's wise. Can I tell you something? The true call of ministry for a pastor, and I think this you see this in Paul's heart here, is not to dominate anybody um, it's it's but it's to help others find joy and humility come on right and to find Jesus Christ and to set them and point them to Jesus Christ amen how many would say in your life that you want to know Jesus Christ in a better way amen will you just bow your heads with me in this moment